Howdy, folks. Today, we are going to talk about how the scriptures need to be handled with care. You know, you probably have seen, maybe you have in your home, products that have a sticker or a label or something that says along the lines of warning, contents under extreme pressure, handle with care, or caution, flammable contents, handle with care. Now that doesn't necessarily make the product that has that warning label in itself bad. It just means that if improperly handled, it can be dangerous. You know, the Word of God, we focus on it, we focus on the good of it, and rightfully so, because the Word of God does a lot of good things. The Word of God can save us, sanctify, edify, comfort, etc., etc. The psalmist in Psalm 19, 7 through 11, and those of us that know this psalm, a lot of us probably sing it in the first day of the week, says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warmed, in the keeping of them there is great reward. Great statements about the word of God. The psalmist said in chapter 119, 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Jesus, in a prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 17, said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The apostle Paul met with the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. And when we look at verses 25 through 32, he says to them, And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God, notice this, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. So Paul's bodily, physical presence isn't going to be among those elders in Ephesus that needed to lead and shepherd the flock, but he had something to give them that would, that would build them up, that would save them, that would help them, and that was God's word. To the saints in Rome, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Where is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth? To the Jew first and also the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live 
by faith. Later in that same letter in Romans 15, 4, he said, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And folks, we could keep going on and on and on about what the word of God can do that is beneficial. I trust that that small sample just brings to your mind what you hopefully already have an idea of and already know. But that's not what our study is about today. I want you to think about what can happen to somebody when they don't handle the word of God with caution. In John's Revelation, the book of Revelation, the letter that is written to the seven churches in Asia, in the final chapter, as it is listed for us, chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, John, by inspiration, being moved by the Holy Spirit, says, I testify to everyone that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. So when you think about that, somebody whose name is in the book of life, they're Christian. And that person who mishandles God's word by adding or removing to it, their name's going to be taken out of this book of life. And the things written in the book of Revelation, the plagues, etc., are going to be added unto them. Think about the danger. Think about the danger that comes with the Bible. Just think about it. Don't believe it? Guess what? You know, the Great Commission is often focused on for what a person must do to be saved, right? Where Jesus tells the apostles, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Great. But what happens if you don't believe the gospel? He that believeth not shall be damned. In 2 Thessalonians 2.12, they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Don't believe the gospel. This book damns you. Don't obey it. And guess what you got to look forward to in the judgment day? 2 Thessalonians 1.8, inflaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, disbelief and obedience, you know, when we think about them, are the point of the lesson. When you mishandle the word of God, danger, danger, destruction is ahead of you. So there's caution, warnings, written for us in the scriptures, not just Revelation 22, 18, and 19 and like passages, but think about what was said from the Apostle Paul to one of his sons in the faith, Timothy, who was an evangelist. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 18, 
of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study, that means to be diligent, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Notice, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. The evangelist Timothy, a man after Paul's own thinking, a, a, a like-minded man, his disciple, his trusted colleague, gets the warning. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. That means to make a straight cut, to dissect it correctly. That's what that means if, if you were to look up that Strong's number 3718, to make a straight cut, to dissect it, to expound upon it correctly, to make straight and smooth, handle it right, to teach the truth directly and correctly is what Thayer's Greek-English lexicon says as the definition. Rightly dividing the word of truth, not perverting it. There were those that were doing that. And that caused people's faith to be overthrown. They erred. Another warning, not to an evangelist, but to the saints that Peter was addressing in 2 Peter. He says in chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, after he's talking about the return of our Lord and the judgment to come, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul also according to wisdom given to him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking these things in which some things are hard to be understood. Now that's fascinating. He's saying these things are difficult to perceive. They're hard to understand. He goes on, which they that are unlearned, meaning ignorant, and un stable, meaning these people are unfixed. They're not stable, right? Their foundation isn't sure. The word rest means, you know, to twist. As they do also other scriptures. You want to know what happens when those people that don't understand, that aren't stable, twist scriptures. The inspired apostle Peter says, unto their own destruction. From that, he says, ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Those are warning labels. It is easy for someone who doesn't know what they're doing to mishandle the word of God. I've done this in the past and had to confess it and repent of it. It's easy. 
It's especially easy if you've been incorrectly taught at some point. It's easy. It's not hard. Okay? So the cautionary tales are there because mishandling the Word of God brings about destruction. And that's even including the things that are hard to understand. I want you to think about it. There, there, there are things that I encounter often, and, and among them are people that incorrectly infer something as though it's implied the way they understand it. And this isn't a new problem. You know, I'll draw your attention to the scriptures. In John 21, 20 through 23, Peter turned about seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved and leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus said to him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So Jesus makes a statement here that Peter doesn't understand the right way. Verse 23 shows this out. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die, but if he will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? You see, people do this with statements. They incorrectly infer something that is implied. Jesus was only making a point and the whole point was missed. Basically, he was telling Peter, don't worry about what's not your business. That was the point. If I want him to tarry until I come again, what's that to you? He did not say what Peter and others understood and spread, that this disciple should not die. Folks, when we, when we think about scriptures, one, one, there are common things that happen. People read the Bible. They come across statements like Job 4.8. Even as I've seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Or Galatians 6.7.8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And they, they, they see scriptures like that. And then... They see something happen to somebody and they say, oh, wow, he must have been a bad person because something bad happened to him. In John 9, 1 and 2, this happened. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from his birth and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They erred. They made the assumption that, hey, this man must have done something wrong to be made blind. Well, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Ah, see, incorrect. You're wrong. It is not true that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Now listen, the thing that blows my mind, I mean, it just utterly blows my mind, is people's inability to reason. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 
If you know any verse in the Bible that teaches that the righteous suffer persecution, there is no way you could reasonably deduce that bad things only happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Like you, you wouldn't even need to study the subject any further. You'd look at Jesus and say, look at his life, how he was mistreated and he was righteous, sinless. <laughs> you would say, wait a minute, my thought here isn't correct. Yeah, it was common and still is common today. And you could biblically show the reasoning to be wrong. In Luke 13, uh, 1 through 5, there were present at that season some that had told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus answering said this, Suppose ye these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such. Notice, he says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell, slew them, think ye they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Here's Jesus' answer. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. So twice here, Jesus brings up bad things that happened to people and told them it was not because they were sinners. They didn't suffer this because they were sinners. This, this is biblical fact. When you study the Bible, you can see, like Ecclesiastes 7.15, Solomon says, all these things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There's a just man that perish in his righteousness and a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Look, Solomon visually saw that and came to the reasonable conclusion. In Ecclesiastes 8, 12, and 13, he says, though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that this shall... Be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Solomon comes to these conclusions, right? What he's doing in the flesh isn't necessarily affecting his physical life. Sometimes it does. You know, sometimes bad people get caught committing crimes, and sometimes they don't. You know what the Bible teaches us? that there are elements that nobody controls called time and chance. In Ecclesiastes 9, 10 through 12, whatsoever thy hand findeth, thee, do it with might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thou goest. I returned and saw in the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, you are at favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes that are taken in evil net and the birds that are caught in a snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. Something can happen today. It's not part of some grand scheme. It's not God manipulating things in the world. It just happens. You know, there, yet a common belief, and any Christian that believes this is an error because you're mishandling the truth. 2 Peter 3 15 through 18. Any Christian, if you're out there and you think you're a Christian and you think that God is controlling everything, if Jesus comes today, you're going to go to hell. So you have mishandled the word of God. You need to correct this, okay? I'm proving this to you. The Bible to showing you that you're misunderstanding these principles of God. You are not faithful. Yet, it is commonly thought 
that that nothing happens unless there's a reason behind it. People will will say, well, I, this person died. I guess it was their time. Well, Ecclesiastes 9, 10 through 12 just showed us, you know, it's like fish being caught. You go out today and you're driving. And, and now, now follow me here. Let, let's Let's not even make this point a biblical study. Just, just reason, just reason here, okay? Think about the indictment on God in the analogy I'm about to give. Somebody goes out driving today, and they're hit by a drunk driver, and they die. And everybody in the vehicle dies. At a lot of those types of funerals, somebody gets up and says, it was their time, God called them home. Listen, there's everything about that's false. Everything about it's false. But just follow me with a line of reason. I'm not even going to use the Bible here. Just follow me with a line of reason. That drunk driver gets put on trial for vehicular manslaughter, DUI, etc. Now, isn't it reasonable that if that was God calling the people who died home, that the drunk driver should be rewarded for carrying out God's will? Isn't it amazing that nobody wants to follow out their conclusion to its reasonable conclusion, including all things? That's because when people pick up Bibles, somehow along the way, they become more stupid in their line of reasoning than ever before, more ignorant. And listen, it's a shame. You, you can't lose your ability to reason when you're handling the Word of God. You don't think this way in other situations. Why are you doing it with the Bible? Handle with care. Don't lose your ability to reason. Don't think that God is manipulating everything in the world to better suit His people. The fact is, Jesus preached it, Matthew 5, 45, that you may be your children of fathers ever, you make of this son to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. What God does benefits mankind, good and bad, the worst of the worst. You know, God doesn't have patches of clouds over the houses of unbelievers. He doesn't withhold rain over the houses of unbelievers. He doesn't withhold rain from the crops of unbelievers. An atheist farmer is going to get rain if he's living next door to his, to his Christian neighbor or if he's 200 miles apart because the seasons and the times continue and God feeds the just and the unjust through natural means. The evidence of who he is, Acts 14, 17, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. He's not out there killing the unjust. No, no. Time and chance might, but God's not. Or you think God's an executioner of time and, and chance? No, time and chance are just that. We've got to be able to reason. But people incorrectly infer things. They, they read the scriptures, uh, you reap what you sow, and they want to make it an immediate earthly consequence. Yet, when you're studying in your Bible, 
And you still see that James, the brother of John, was killed with the sword, Acts 12, 2. Are you going to say he was evil? That an apostle of our Lord, who was out preaching the word of God, vexed certain of the church, Acts 12, 1. Herod did that. The king did that. That, hey, he killed, he killed James. If you keep reading the context, Peter gets delivered. He gets brought out of prison by an angel. And somebody say, that was all God's doing. Do you know what you just did? You just made God a respecter of persons. But Romans 2.11 said there is no respect of persons with God. You see, that conclusion is false. It's inconsistent with the remainder of the scriptures. But people want to think that way. You cannot lose your ability to reason. You have to be cautious. You have to think things through. Now, that doesn't mean... You should not infer things because there are implications in the scriptures and you have to infer, but you need to be very cautious. I mean, Jesus taught by making implications. In Matthew 22, you know, there were Sadducees beginning in verse 23 and they came to Jesus. They, they, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead and they wanted to twist the scriptures a little bit here for their own conclusion and they said, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and be raised up seed to his brother. And then he said, he's got seven brethren. And they go on to make the argument that all of them died and none of them had children. So they asked Jesus a question, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven would she be? Because they all had her in Matthew 22 and verse 28. Well, Jesus replied in verse 29, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. He makes this point of truth. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are the angels of God in heaven. So he nullifies their question. Your question is useless. There's not marriage in heaven. Or you, 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 know, you ought, ought to think that through more. Then he goes on, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he makes a point from that. He implies something from that. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So he makes the point when God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those men have died in the flesh, yet he's saying he is their God, that that tells you that those men are alive somewhere in some form in some way. And we know that there's paradise and torment, Luke 16, 19 through 31. And, and we can go to the scriptures and prove that out. But what Jesus is saying, even before that was taught, is that they should have inferred from that, that there is life beyond this world. So yes, we have to be able to take implications and make inferences from them. But it takes caution and reason and you can't infer something that's going to be inconsistent with other scriptures. That brings me to my next point. Not taking the whole counsel of God into consideration or taking something out of its context. You know, for example, in Luke 13, 10 through 16, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. When Jesus saw her... He called her to him and said, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. 
He laid his hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said to the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. The Lord answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Look, they're not considering the truth about the Sabbath day. They're not considering that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, Mark 2 and verse 28, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They're not thinking about the purpose behind the Sabbath day. They're not thinking about their inconsistency. It is, are your animals, are your livestock more important than the children of Abraham, you, you, you should be able to reason here. Those scriptures that give you the authority here also give you the authority there. Now listen, this inability to reason, uh, and I'm about to give you an example. You might think this is extreme and crazy, but John 6, 27 says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Somebody might take this one verse and say, see, I should quit my job and focus on my soul. Now, you might think, that's insane. Nobody would do that. No, there was a man that I met in Pennsylvania. His name was Frank, and he did just that. He used that very passage and wanted help in applying for financial assistance from the government and wanted me to write him as a letter as a preacher of the gospel and telling the government that he should be supported because he can't work because the Bible tells him that he's supposed to focus on his soul. Now, this ignores context and other scriptures. The context is Jesus fed 5,000 miraculously, and they followed him not because they believed the miracle, but because they wanted free food. In that context, Jesus made that point. It's inconsistent with other scriptures. Even if, even if that context wasn't abundantly clear, though it is, but just for the sake of, of Bible study here, you still need to test, you know, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. You need to test your, your thought before you come to your conclusion. What do other scriptures teach me? Well, Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him rather labor, working with his hands that thing which is good that he may have need that he may have to give to him that needeth. Wait, here's the verse that tells me to work. But is this verse just for somebody that used to be a thief? I keep looking. First Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. And that ye study to be quiet, do your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye may have lack of nothing. Hmm, wait a minute. Here's another verse telling work. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, for even when we were with you, this we command you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Okay, clearly I can't take John 6, 27 
and say, this is not, this is telling me not to work. And there's other verses, right? I mean, we keep going. First Timothy 5, 8, if any provide not for his own, especially those under his own health, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's talking about taking care of widows uh, in, in the context. Take care of your family. Okay, wait a minute then. I got that wrong because even if the context isn't clear, again, John 6 is a clear context, but just for the sake of the point, if it's not clear, other scriptures clarify. I can't come to this conclusion because it would be inconsistent with the whole of God's word. That requires time and study. Again, handle with care. What about this? A verse that brought up earlier, Mark 16, 15, and 16 where the apostles were told to go in the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized should be saved. He believeth not shall be damned. There are people that will take this verse and say, this is the plan of salvation. Or others who will emphasize it as the more important part of the plan of salvation. This is what you have to do. But wait, is that it? I mean, why in the world are there 66 books in the Bible if there's only two things you need to do to be saved. Have you ever thought about that? It's not, not very logical, right? I mean, if you bought a bookshelf and it comes with an instruction manual and the instruction manual is 32 pages long, that would be a, a pretty intricate bookshelf, but don't, don't pick at my illustration here. I know it's weak. Just for the sake of illustration, do you really think everything you need to know is just on one or two pages? No. Step one. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, right? Well, when you're reading through the Bible, studying, you come to other passages. Listen, do not take what I'm about to give you as this is all you have to do to be saved. It's just to illustrate that it's more than believe and be baptized. Acts 15, 11 says, We believe that through the grace of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. This is an account contextually where there was a problem in, in Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas came up to Jerusalem, to the church, the elders, the apostles, to talk about it. And this particular uh, context, the point is being made about the Gentiles, that, hey, there shouldn't be a difference. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should be saved even as they, okay? So, grace of our Lord is involved. That's more than believe and be baptized. My conclusion's wrong. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? I've seen one step plans of salvation, two-step plan of salvation, five-step plan of salvation, six steps of salvation. You know what I have not seen? Somebody list hope and their plan of salvation. I haven't seen it. Here's another one I haven't seen. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and, and this is written to people, the church in Corinth that heard, believed, and were baptized, Acts 18, 8. In fact, Baptism is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul was asking them in verses 10 through 17, uh, about uh, reminding them about their baptisms, that he had only baptized Crispus and Gaius, 
and others were baptized by other people. Some of those people wore the name of those that baptized. So here's people that's baptized, but are they saved? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have also received wherein you stand, by which you are saved, by which you are saved, if ye keep in memory. Have you ever seen that on the plan of salvation? If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you, first of all, which I receive, how that Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures, buried and rose again third day according to Scriptures. And he goes on to teach about the resurrection because there were people in Corinth that did not believe in the resurrection. Have you ever seen, if ye keep in memory? Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work, fear, tremble. Haven't seen that in the five steps. One step, two steps. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Wait, I got to receive the love of the truth that I might be saved. Hmm. How many people have heard, believed, repented, confessed, been baptized, but haven't received the love of the truth? I, I know a guy, matter of fact, I just talked about him locally here in El Paso on Sunday. His name was Art. I met him in Cherry Tree, Pennsylvania when I preached there very briefly. It was just a matter of months before they did not want the truth because they are Church of Satan, though they have a sign out front that says Church of Christ. And... Uh, there was a man named Art there, and he wanted to make sure that I knew right before I left uh, Cherry Tree that he never believed that his Catholic wife was lost. But Catholics are just as saved as all the other churches. However, he was a member of a group of people that taught here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized immersed in water. Catholics don't teach that. Think about that, folks. Yeah, he wasn't really with them. 1 Timothy 4.16, the evangelist Timothy is told, take heed unto thyself and under the doctrine, continue in them. Hmm. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Timothy, you're not saved yet. You got to continue in the doctrine of Christ. Teaching it living it. Hebrews 5, 8, 9, though he were a son, contextually speaking of our high priest, Jesus Christ, text says, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus is the source, the author of salvation unto all that obey him. So how about this? There's a command, for example. In Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. A husband is commanded to love his wife. I'm about to preach on this on Sunday. Isn't he disobeying God, our Lord Jesus Christ, if he doesn't? And Jesus is the source of salvation to all that obey him. Where do you see Ephesians 5.25 on people's plan of salvation? How about, how about those uh, Calvinists out there that say you're saved by faith alone. Some of them say grace alone. Some of them say grace alone, faith alone, by Christ alone. I know that's contradictive and illogical, but whatever they say, I've never heard a plan of salvation include Ephesians 
But it does, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? How about James 1.12? Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised them to love him. What, what about that? Hmm. You see how we could go on and on and on? The truth of the matter is people have long mishandled the word of God, teaching people that they're saved at this point or that point, and pointing to salvation as though it happens on earth. I want you to hear something that's very clear and easy to understand. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that faith not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When is salvation revealed? All right. When you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than the gold of perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Not now, then, notice, whom having not seen you love, and whom thou now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's, that's the truth. You got to be faithful unto the end. So here it is. What about people that just grab a verse that says believe or grab a verse that says repent or grab a verse that says call upon the name of the Lord, whatever, and say this is what you have to do to be saved, ignoring all the passages we just looked at and... If you've got an ability to reason, you know that that is far greater even than what I just brought up. I mean, yes, there are things you need to do to have your sins washed away initially. But then what about thereafter? You have to do more to be saved as a Christian than you had to do to become a Christian. That's reasonable Bible study. Accurate conclusions in Bible study require you to have an ability to reason and grow properly. You know, in 1 Peter 3.15, in the context about standing before those that are persecuting you, says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asketh you, notice this, a reason. I want to talk about that. Asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you in meekness and fear. If you look that up, part of the definition Thera gives, gives is the mental faculty of thinking, meditating, reasoning, calculating. Can you articulate, can you explain the hope that's in you with meekness and fear? Do you even have that ability? Are you able to explain how you came to your conclusions? I've erred in this in the past and had to repent and confess and turn to God, where I took what I was taught and parroted it. And what I mean by parroted it, you know, a parrot, you could teach a parrot to say, hello, 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 right? You can get a parrot to use words, um, make statements. Doesn't mean there's understanding behind it, 
That's why they'll keep saying it inappropriately at times, right? The ability to reason. In Acts 24, 25, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Having that ability to reason with somebody about the hope that is within you. Having that ability to reason. To think things through. To mingle thought with thought. To ponder. To resolve in your mind. To have discourse. To discuss. Can you do that with the hope that's in you and meekness and fear? Or, or do you just parrot what you've been taught? This is where you have to step back and, and grab an understanding. Understanding is of great importance. It is of great importance in handling the scriptures with care. I want to give you some passages to think about. Psalm 119, 104, through thy precepts I get understanding Therefore, I hate every false way. I, I, I was just making a point in a Luke study here uh, Sunday as we're in Luke chapter 12 and we were talking about instructions that were given to the apostles where Jesus was cautioning them not to be concerned about what they're going to eat or drink. And he made the point point that all these things do the nations of the world seek after and your father knoweth that you have need of these things. And here's, here's what I know about some people that profess to be Christians. They say, they parrot verses like Jesus, he that's not with me is against me, Matthew 12, 30. But when they talk about the world, they talk about the world as though it's good. Yet the Bible says the whole world lieth in wickedness, 1 John 5 and verse 19. See, the Bible shows us that God draws a line between light and darkness, righteousness and unrighteousness. The children of God and the children of sinners, are, are, are the children of Satan rather, are, are simply defined by those who commit sin versus those that don't, 1 John 3, 8 through 10. And people know those scriptures, but apparently they don't understand them. Psalm 119, 104 says, Through thy precepts I can understand, therefore I hate every false way. Think about it in light of what I just made statement of. There are people that say, I know these verses. Okay, but do you understand them? Because if you did, you'd have a hatred in you. Romans 12, 9 teaches, Let love be without dissimulation. That means hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. Let it be unfeigned. What's the rest of the verse say? How is my love for God and my brethren and all that's involved in godly love so supposed to be without hypocrisy? The verse goes on, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. That is to, to, to detest, to have a horror of, to dislike. I can't love God, my brethren, and the world at the same time. I detest the world. I want to convert people out of it so that they can be in the light. I want to continue about understanding, and I'll stop giving side lessons. Proverbs 3.13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, get wisdom, 
Get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, and therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs 16, 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it, but the instruction of fools is folly. Ephesians 5, 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Psalm 111 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a good understanding of all they that do his commandments, his praises endure forever. That's the proof there. If I understand, I do. I want to come back to my illustration. If I understand the difference between light and darkness, I interact differently with darkness than I do light. That is how my love is not hypocritical. Hmm, right? How about those that think that they understand and they feel like they should be talking about it? But they don't get it. First Timothy one three through seven. As I besought thee still, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia. This is Paul talking to Timothy the evangelist, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some may have swerved and have turned aside in vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Listen, when I had to repent of not understanding, see, I, I, had, I had the ability to quote a great number of scriptures, but when I learned I was misusing some of those scriptures, Part of the process was I under I didn't understand context. I had to go back. I had to say, before I use a verse, I need to learn the context. Study the whole letter. Study the whole book, which in the immediate made my process of teaching extremely difficult. I started going to the whiteboard, for those of you that know me a long time, and started testing everything out. And it turned even teaching the most simplest of lessons into much complication because I just I was doubting everything. Uh, and you know what happens with doubt is you become unstable. Well, to, to bring about that repentance, I just started from scratch. Am I a Christian? How do I know that? I mean, forget about what I got to teach others. Let me make sure I'm going to position myself before I can even teach others because when you're not right and you're teaching others, you're just a hypocrite. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Romans chapter 2. So the process, if you find yourself guilty of this, you got to start that process. You got to go back to the drawing board. You can't conclude that, you know, you, you got it all right. Uh, and, and I'm not saying you need to know everything. Just know the whole truth about what you say and what you believe. And that may mean that you go back to very limited for a period of time. I went back to very limited first principle things before I went into anything else because I wanted to make sure I had the foundation right. And lo and behold, my foundation was right. However, however it was right, it, it, it still didn't have the understanding. I still didn't have the understanding I needed to have. And you might have to do that. You might have to start testing things out. I brought it up earlier. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. You have to prove what's acceptable unto the Lord. Ephesians 5 and verse 10. And not base it on what your thinking and understanding is. Think about Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge in him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. You have to step back and say, if if my foundation isn't right, what have I missed? Where have I gotten this wrong? How can I proceed forward in the right way? You have to remember that mishandling the word of God leads to destruction. And, and you don't want to be deceitful about it. You don't want to, you know, I, I've known men over the years that there was that people that I knew that I care about to this very day that made errors in the scriptures. And look, the beauty, the beauty about God is that if we confess, repent of our sins, we can get forgiveness if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you, you can obey the gospel and get forgiveness. I mean, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. First John 1 and verse 9. The terrible thing is when somebody comes to a point to realize that they're in error, and instead of just owning it and making it right, it's not that difficult. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Don't, you got to humble yourself. You got to say, I got this wrong. I, I want to make it right. Boom, that's it. Then make it right. I've known men that instead of just taking that small step and saying, I'm wrong, I'm going to make this right and hit the reset button right there, they just argued their point into many more false doctrines and mishandling the word of God to prove their point over and over again. I knew a man uh, years and years ago, still think about him, still care about him. He taught unconditional forgiveness. I, I don't think that he believed it. But rather than say, I erred, I twisted the scriptures, he defended it. Split a church. Oh my goodness. Went from there down a deep, dark hole of error and has just continued as far as I know to this day doing that same thing. Another brother I really care about, he drank alcohol. Instead of saying, I shouldn't have taken that sip, went to defending it. A little bit is not as bad as being a drunkard. No way in the world is he being reasonable and he's not reasoning from the scriptures, he's twisting them. He's turned one sin into possibly an innumerable amount of sins. Why in the world, folks, if you find yourself to be in error, do you not just own it and make it right instead of turning it into a snowball effect and adding sin unto sin? Don't be dishonest. And 2 Corinthians 4, 2, have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Don't be crafty. Don't handle the word of God deceitfully. Remember, the cautions are all throughout the Bible. You know, in Proverbs 35 and 6, says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. The churches of Galatia were told in Galatians 1, 8, 9, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel in you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. As we said before, so say I now again, If any man preach any other gospel in you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Folks, the warning labels are all throughout this book we call the Bible. Handle it with care. 
If you find that you've mishandled it, make it right. If you need somebody that will be compassionate to help you, I uh, all means am willing to do that. I've been there. I understand. I was never dishonest with the scriptures. I was just ignorant. And sometimes ignorance, stupidity, all those things that I was, I just parroted what I'd always heard. I get it. It's easy to do. Easy to do. It's hard to walk away from. I'd be willing to help you. I thank you so much for listening. I hope that you're thinking about handling the Word of God with care. Hope you've been thinking about it before you heard this podcast. But if not, I'm glad to at least bring it to your mind. Thank you for listening. If all goes according to plan, on Sunday, the podcast will be on 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Until then, I will say goodbye. Take care.